ان الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا وسيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله اما بعد So last time then, we went through the first section, the section regarding water and the types of water that can be used for purification. The types of water that you can use to make wudu with, that you can use to do ghusl with. That was the opening topic. The next topic here now then is Babul Aniyah. The chapter regarding the vessels. The vessels, meaning the items, the containers that you put the water into. Anya, meaning the vessels or the containers that you put the water into. Why is this chapter relevant and why do we need to know about it? So you remember the type of order that they go through in the books of fiqh. So they don't begin with the prayer straight away because prior to the prayer you need to first make wudu. But to make wudu you need water and the water you're going to put it into some type of vessel or container typically if it's of course the ocean or the lake that's another thing but normally in your homes in other places the water is going to be stored in something or another so now in this chapter he's going to explain are there certain types of rulings for these containers that you put the water into. Do they have to be certain types of containers? Are certain other types not allowed? The rulings regarding the vessels and containers that you put the water into. So we still haven't even got to actually making wudu. Still introductions. The types of water the types of container to put the water in. So that is where we are today. Anybody want to read? Go then. I think, is it working? Yeah, just that, sir. Just Ani, that's it. وجميع العواني مباحة إلا آنية الذهب والفدة وما فيه شيء منهما إلا اليسير من الفدة للهجة لقوله صلى الله عليه وسلم لا تشربوا في آنية الذهب والفدة ولا تأكلوا في سهافها فإنها لهم في الدنيا ولكم في الآخرة متفق عليه So he says باب الآنية Al-Aniyah 
In the Arabic language is the plural of the word ina. Ina'un is the singular. Aniyah is the plural. And it is in reference to the vessels and the containers. So he says, Jami'ul Awani Mubaha. All vessels and containers are by default in origin Mubah. You can use them by default, any type of container, any type of vessel that you're going to put the water into, the default is containers and vessels, whatever they might be made of generally, the default is they are all permissible. Then he's going to explain the exceptions of certain types that are not permissible. So by default you can say, Al-Awani Mubaha. Containers and vessels are permissible. Use whichever want. Uh, whichever type you want to use to put the water in generally. But then he says, Illa, except, Aniyata al-Dhahabi wal-Fidwa, except the containers, the vessels, the cups, the plates, that are made out of gold and silver. Except, the ones that are made from gold or silver. وَمَا فِيهِ شَيْءٌ مِّنْهُمَا And those that have an element of gold and silver in them, even if they are not completely made of them. وَمَا فِيهِ شَيْءٌ مِّنْهُمَا any type of vessel that has some gold or silver in it, then that's also not allowed. إِلَّا الْيَسِيرِ مِنَ الْفِضَّةِ Except for a small amount of silver which is allowed under necessity. And we'll get to the details of this shortly. So far then he has said, the basic ruling, the asal you could say, when it comes to vessels and containers, is that they are all mubah, allowed, permissible, use what you want. But then there is the exception of the ones that are made from actual gold and silver, and the exception of the ones that may be made from something else, but have some elements of gold and silver within them, even if they are not completely made of them. And the exception to that exception, he says that you could be allowed a little bit of silver under necessity. And the evidence, لِقَوْلِهِ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمْ لَا تَشْرَبُوا فِي آنِيَةِ الذَّهَبِ وَالْفِضَّةِ Where the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم said, Do not drink from the vessels of gold and silver. Do not drink from the vessels of gold and silver. 
wala ta'kulu fi suhafiha and do not eat from the the plates and bowls that are made of gold and silver fa innaha lahum fi dunya for indeed they the utensils vessels of gold and silver they are for them in this world meaning the kuffar walakum fil akhirah and for you in the afterlife and the hadith is muttafaqun alayhi agreed upon al bukhari and muslim so that is the evidence that he quotes the hadith of Hudayfah ibn al-Yaman where the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam clearly gave us a prohibition la tashrabu fi aniyati al-dhahabi wal-fiddah wa la ta'kulu fi suhafiha those are prohibitions in the narration you can see the harf the fi'l mudari' majzum it's a la annahiya a prohibition the normal ruling in usul al-fiqh is that if there is a prohibition on something then by default the origin of that is that it equals something haram if there is a prohibition then normally that indicates something haram there could then be explanations and other things that come into it but by default so here it's a prohibition do not drink in the utensils made of gold and silver and do not eat in the plates and bowls made from gold or silver for indeed they are for them the kuffar in this world and they are for you in the afterlife that is the hadith that he uses as the evidence to say that all vessels by default are permissible but gold and silver ones are not and the hadith you can see from its meaning is very clear in giving that meaning very clear in highlighting that vessels of gold and silver are impermissible to eat from to drink from impermissible to use them so that's the evidence he mentions in regards to this evidence when it says in the hadith that they the utensils of gold and silver are for them the kuffar in this world and they will be for you in the afterlife does that mean that utensils of gold and silver are permissible for the kuffar in this world it says they are for them in this world and for you in the afterlife does it mean therefore that the utensils of gold and silver are permissible for the kuffar in this world it does not mean that so what does it mean what does it mean then they are for them in this world and for you in the afterlife because the kuffar uh, 
the sinners. So basically, they they're not submitting to the Sharia. Allah. Basically, the Hadith is narrating to us a fact. It is just narrating a fact. Is it not a fact that the kuffar, they use gold and silver in their utensils. They use it, they do it. They do not follow the laws of the religion. They do not submit to the religion. They do as they please. And they factually use gold and silver in their utensils. So the hadith, when it is telling us that they are for them in this world, meaning they in this world, factually speaking, they use them. Not that it's permissible for them. It is upon them to submit to the sharia, but they do not. And they are upon their kufr and shirk, and they use their utensils of gold and silver. So this is telling us a fact of the world. The kuffar use them now. They are using them. And it is telling us that you, the believers, will have these utensils for you, for your usage, in the afterlife in paradise. فَإِنَّهَا لَهُمْ فِي الدُّنْيَا Sheikh Al-Fawzan says, يَسْتَعْمِلُونَهَا وَلَا يُبَالُونَ That the kuffar, they use the utensils of gold and silver plates and cups and whatever, and they do not care. وَلَكُمْ And they will be for you in the afterlife. Which therefore means also the opposite for the kuffar, that in the afterlife they will not be given any access. They will not be given any such thing as utensils of gold or silver. When they are in their punishment, they will not be given any gold or silver utensils. So it reverses. In this world, the believers, they are obedient to Allah. They submit to the rulings. And so they abstain from using the utensils of gold and silver. In obedience to Allah. The kuffar, they do not know obedience to Allah. They do not care. They use them in this world. So in this world, they have them. And the believers do not. But in the afterlife, they will not have them. But the believers will be given them. So it is a reverse that occurs, and that's what it means here that they are for them. فَإِنَّهَا لَهُمْ فِي الدُّنْيَا وَلَكُمْ فِي الْآخِرَةِ For them in this world and for you in the afterlife. Uh, and there are some ayat in the Quran that mention this. يُطَافُ عَلَيْهِمْ بِسُحَافٍ مِّن ذَهَبٍ وَأَكْوَابٍ وَفِيهَا مَا تَشْتَهِيهِ الْأَنفُسِ وَتَلَذُّ الْأَعْيُنِ Az-Zukhruf 71 In Az-Zukhruf 71 That they will come upon them, circle around them with plates of gold and cups And within them will be what the souls desire And what the eyes find desirable So they will be given they will have what they desire in the plates or the vessels of gold in the paradise, as it's mentioned there. And in the other ayah, in Al-Insan, it mentions, وَيُطَافُ عَلَيْهِمْ بِآنِيَةٍ مِّنْ فِضَّةٍ وَأَكْوَابٍ كَانَتْ قَوَارِيرَةٍ 
that they will come upon them with vessels of silver. So gold and silver mentioned for the inhabitants of paradise. فَكَمَا أَنَّهُمْ أَيْضًا يُحَلَّوْنَ فِي الْجَنَّةِ أَسَاوِرَ مِنْ فِضَّةِ Also in paradise, they will be given bracelets of silver. فَالْمُؤْمِنُونَ فِي الْجَنَّةِ يَأْكُلُونَ وَيَشْرَبُونَ فِي صُحَافِ الذَّهَبِ وَأَوَانِي وَكُؤُوسِ الذَّهَبِ وَالْفِضَّةِ so the believers in paradise, they will eat and drink from plates and utensils uh, and vessels and cups of gold and silver. Because Allah has made those utensils of gold and silver permissible for the believers in the afterlife. There is also a narration that mentions the punishment of the ones who use the vessels of silver. الَّذِي يَشْرَبُ فِي إِنَاءِ الْفِضَّةِ إِنَّمَا يُجَرْجِرُ فِي بَطْنِهِ نَارَ جَهَنَّمِ مُتَّفَقٌ عَلَيْهِ That the one who drinks from a vessel of silver. And remember, when we're talking about gold and silver, we're not talking about the color. We're talking about the actual elements. Gold, the precious element of gold and silver, the actual materials, not the color. Not if you have a, a, a cup made out of metal, but it's sprayed in a silver color, so it looks like it's made out of silver, or sprayed in some gold paint, and it looks like it's made out of gold. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about actual utensils made from actual gold and actual silver. So it mentions here the one who drinks from the utensils of silver. Then on Yawmul Qiyamah, that which he drank or ate from that utensil of silver, which was impermissible for him to do, on Yawmul Qiyamah, on the Day of Judgment, that those items will be made as fire within him, burning within him. They will be made as fire, that which he consumed from those vessels of silver, turned to fire burning within him on Yawmul Qiyamah. الشيخ الفوزان mentions كذلك هذا الذي يشرب في إناء الفضة يتحول هذا الشراب نارا يوم القيامة that the one who drinks from the vessel of silver then the contents that he drunk will change to fire on the day of judgment burning inside of him and there are several other rulings to mention here a few rulings to mention regarding the vessels of silver and gold. Ruling number one, the obvious ruling from these narrations is that it is impermissible, haram, to use vessels, containers made of gold or silver to eat from or to drink from. That's clear in the hadith. To eat from them or to drink from them is impermissible. 
The question then is, what is the connection between that hadith and the actual subject we are studying right now? We're not studying whether it's permissible to eat from a vessel made of gold or silver. We're in the chapter of purification yet. What is the connection here to purification? Whether those vessels of gold and silver can be used to store the water in that you are then going to make wudu from. But the hadith doesn't mention anything about storing water in those vessels. The hadith only talks about not eating or drinking from those vessels. So what is the connection to the purification aspect? Basically, the scholars have mentioned the hadith is telling us you're not allowed to put your food or your drink into vessels and containers made of gold and silver and use them for that purpose and then eat from them. If you're not allowed to do that, then the scholars have said, clearly, you cannot be allowed to put your water into those same vessels to do another act of worship. Eating and drinking in and of itself is not necessarily an act of worship. It can be considered a mubah action, eating and drinking. But wudu, by default, it is an act of worship. So if eating and drinking, which could be considered mubah, basically, if that isn't allowed in utensils of gold and silver, then an act of worship making wudu from those utensils of gold and silver surely cannot be allowed either. So that's how the scholars, they derived this ruling that it is impermissible to use gold and silver utensils and vessels to put your water into them and then make wudu out of them. Because if you're not allowed to eat and drink from those vessels, then you're certainly not allowed to make wudu with your water in those vessels. So that is the first point here. Eating and drinking is not permissible from them. Using those vessels to make purification is not permissible from them. As a Sheikh Al-Fawzan says, إِذَا حُرِمَ الْأَكْلُ وَالشُرْبُ فِيهِمَا فَلَا أَنْ يَحْرُمَ التَّطَهُّرُ مِنْهُمَا مِنْ بَابِ أَوْلَى وَكَذَلِكَ بَقِيَّةُ الْإِسْتِعْمَالَاتِ قِيَاسًا عَلَى الْأَكْلِ وَالشُرْبُ so eating and drinking by the text of the hadith is not allowed from the vessels of gold and silver. Therefore purification is not allowed from them either, which is an act of worship. And therefore the scholars, the majority of them, many of them, they have deduced that gold and silver is not permissible for usage generally. Not just eating and drinking or uh, uh, making wudu from. It's not permissible to use in general usages. Like some of them give examples. People, the, the rich. They sometimes make their doorknobs made of pure gold. 
and maybe they have other things in their homes made of pure gold. Their arch in their home, the doorknob on their doors, these things in their mansions made of gold, pure gold. The scholars, they say, haram. Haram for you to have your doorknobs made of gold. Haram for you to have decorations and other aspects in your home made of pure gold. Impermissible and haram, they say many of them. As Sheikh bin Baz and others from the modern day scholars and the fuqaha from the times of old. And they do it based upon this narration. That gold and silver, they have a usage that is known and established, and that is the usage of, as a monetary usage, as wealth, as money. Gold and silver has always been used throughout history in the various cultures and nations as a monetary thing. Gold, to this day, gold is used as a benchmark and the price of gold It's known for that, established for that. How do we know it's known and established for that purpose? Because later on when we get to the chapter of zakat, it's going to talk about gold and silver and the zakat on them. So it's established for that usage. But beyond that usage, generally speaking, forget about the small exceptions. There are some small exceptions like the companion who... In battle, his nose was lost and they fixed up a bit of his nose with some gold. There may be some examples of that type of thing, but they are small examples. The general ruling, a Sheikh bin Baz, a Sheikh al-Fawzan from the scholars of today and the fuqaha of old, the general ruling most of them have said is, you should not use gold for decoration in your homes. You should not even have gold uh, arti- uh, uh, artifacts or antiques or you know sometimes people have a cabinet in their homes a glass cabinet with all of the, the, the crockery and the display inside of the cabinet with the cups and the saucers and the, the display that people make in their homes and some of those items may be gold gold uh, uh, saucers or gold cups or gold something just decoration piece Say so we don't touch it, we don't use it. It's just part of the decoration in the cabinet. As Sheikh bin Ba said, no. He said, no. Gold like that just as a decoration piece in your home, no. So it should not be used for those general usages like that. There are uh, some clear exceptions. One of them is women jewelry. That is known Clearly in the narrations and the texts that it is permissible for women to wear the gold, the silver as jewelry. And in fact, even the silver, there is an exception for the rings for men even. That it could be a silver ring. And as for the women, gold, all of the jewelry permissible. But beyond those types of usages that are mentioned most of the scholars, they are upon the opinion that gold should not be used for general purposes. Otherwise, the rich should not be having antiques in their cabinet with gold pieces in there as, as display. Not as an investment as gold and bullion and those kind of things. A display or gold doorknobs or other things like that. Scholars have given fatawa that should not occur. 
And that's what the Sheikh says here now. He mentions that this impermissibility of eating and drinking and therefore making wudu from vessels made of gold and silver, that applies to men and women. This applies to men and women. The exception for women is only the jewelry. Not in eating and drinking from vessels of gold and silver. Not in making wudu from vessels of gold and silver. There is no exception for women in that. They have the exception in their jewelry. فَالْحَدِيثَانِ يَشْمَلَانِ الرِّجَالِ وَالنِّسَاءِ فِي التَّحْرِيمِ فَلَا يَجُوزُ لِلْمَرْأَةِ أَنْ تَتَّخِذَ الْأَوَانِيَ مِنَ الذَّهَبِ وَالْفِضَّةِ كَمَا لَا يَجُوزُ ذَلِكَ لِلْرَّجُلِ So it is not permissible for women to have vessels made of gold and silver just as it is not permissible for the men. And the ruling as well, another type of principle. In the hadith, in narrations, the the pronouns that are used are often in reference to men. Even in this hadith now, لا تشربوا لا تأكلوا this is the jama' for who? Men or women? This type of verb. Men, it is the plural for males, for masculine. Does that mean a person can come along and say, well, look, the hadith uses the verb which is known in the Arabic language to be for males. Therefore, women are excluded and we can do as we wish. That would not be the case because the principle is established that even if these verbs by default they mention it in the male form, there's a rule in the Arabic language, they call it at-taghlib, that if you intend male and female, you can use, you can only use one of the two verbs, there isn't a verb or a, or a, a version which is mixed, a mix between men and women in the Arabic language, so you use the male version of the verb, and it can incorporate with it the females. And so in hadith, the rule is, even if it's the male version of the verb being used, it incorporates the females. Unless you have a specific evidence excluding them. Unless you have a specific evidence excluding them, then by default the narrations, they incorporate men and women. It's just like the rule about when the Prophet ﷺ is addressed. When Allah addresses the messenger with something. Is that ruling therefore specific to the messenger only? No. The rule is anything that the messenger was addressed with, any ruling, then it is applicable to him and the whole of the ummah. Unless you have something to prove that this ruling was specific to him. By default, it is not specific to him. By default, it is a command to him and the ummah. And the same here when these hadith, the verbs used in them are masculine. And you'll see this throughout. That's the way it is. But the rule is it includes the women unless you have a specific evidence otherwise. With uh, uh, jewelry now, there's a specific evidence that they are allowed and they are exempt in terms of jewelry, okay? That's something specific in the jewelry. 
And there are other things where they may be exempt from certain rulings, but otherwise the overall rule is it is incorporative of them both. Then the Shaykh also highlights the thing about what we said, إِلَّا الْيَسِيرْ مِنَ الْفِضَّةِ You remember he had mentioned in the impermissibility of gold and silver that you can have silver in small amounts for necessity. And really, this is probably more applicable in certain places nowadays and particularly in the olden days. When their vessels used to crack, they used to, like we say now, solder. You know, when you do the, the, when you solder something, you get that metal melted in and it fills the crack up. They used to do that and the item they used to use was silver to fill the crack and, as we say, solder it in. They used to do that with silver to fix up their vessels if there was a crack. That's the type of things that the scholars say is an exception. That isn't being done for the sake of the vessel, for the sake of beautification, for the sake of gold and silver. That is genuinely a necessity for the maintenance of that vessel. There's a crack in it and they would fix it by putting some silver into it, molding it up. So that's normally what the scholars explain in terms of Except for a small amount of silver when there is some necessity. As for when there is no necessity, so the Shaykh he mentions here, Al-ina al-makhluq bil-dhahab wal-fiddah. Then that is also included. Al-nahi am fil-ina al-khalis min al-dhahab wal-fiddah. Wal-ina al-makhluq the impermissibility here, the prohibition here, it is for vessels and utensils, cups and plates and knives and forks that are made purely of gold and silver, or partially have elements of gold and silver on them. So sometimes you may have a particular cup a plate, a bowl, which is made of some other material, copper, metal, whatever the material is, it's not gold or silver, made of something else. But then they gold plate it. So the outside of that vessel is layered with a layer of actual gold, not spray paint color gold, that's permissible, that's not gold. Actual gold, they layer the outside of a particular vessel, cup, plate, bowl, whatever it is, with a layer of actual gold on the surface all the way around. But inside the actual core of the the item isn't made of gold. Is that impermissible or not? Impermissible. Impermissible. Another example the Sheikh gives is, again, uh, normally with certain types of large cups and things, and you see them especially in the, like medieval times when you see the big chalices that they used to drink in. So those kinds of big cups, they may be made from some other material, metal, whatever it is. But then they have portions stuck in them, gold pieces for decoration. So it could be like, if you imagine like in those medieval types of big cups that they used to drink in, the kings, 
made of gold, uh, made of uh, metal or whatever it is. But then there's diamonds all around it and rubies and other things around that cup. And there are chunks of gold and silver stuck into it all around. Chunks of gold and silver. Here all the way around making a row here. Making a couple of rows there. Impermissible again. The whole utensil is made of other than gold or silver. But then these chunks that have been stuck into it. For that reason, that utensil would also be considered as impermissible. So, uh, the scholars have mentioned this, Sheikh Al-Fawzan, he's mentioned it here as well in his explanation. إِذَنْ كُلُّ مَا فِيهِ شَيْءٌ مِنَ الذَّهَبِ وَالْفِضَّةِ مِنَ الْأَوَانِ فَهُوَ حَرَامِ He says, therefore, anything, any type of vessel, utensil, that has any element of gold and silver in it, partially or completely, then it is considered impermissible. لِأَنَّ اللَّهَ إِذَا نَهَا عَنْ شَيْءٍ شَمِلَ النَّهِئَ الْخَالِسِ مِنْهُ وَالْمُجَزَّةِ That if Allah prohibits something, then the prohibition incorporates that item in its purity and also that item in its partial nature. So here, the vessels of gold and silver, whether they are completely made of gold and silver, 100%, or whether they are made of something else but have elements of gold and silver on them, whether it's a layer on the outside to give it the glow, the golden glow, or whether it's chunks that are inserted into that utensil of gold and silver, then all of those are considered as impermissible. Uh, the exceptions that we mentioned, Adornment, jewelry of gold for men is completely impermissible. Even if it was a ring, a ring of gold is impermissible for the men. And that's in the hadith. When the messenger mentioned that gold and silk have been made permissible for the females of my ummah. And they have been made haram upon the men of the ummah. Then the point that we mentioned about having uh, uh, decorations in your homes and doorknobs and those things. As Sheikh Al-Fawzan says, فِي الْحَدِيثَيْنِ دَلِيلٌ عَلَى تَحْرِيمِ اتِّخَاذِ الْأَوَانِ مِنَ الذَّهَبِ وَالْفِضَّةِ مِنْ أَجْلِ التُّحَفِ that the hadith, the two narrations, they highlight the impermissibility <coughs> of taking gold and silver items as antiques or gifts and decorations that you would keep in your homes or other places. The Shaykh says, what if somebody says that the narration that the hadith only mentioned not eating and drinking from the utensils. Fal Jawab, the Shaykh says, the reply to that is, 
إذا كان استعمالهما مع الحاجة إليهما حرام فلا أن يكون التحريم بالاقتناء وجعلهما تحفة من باب أولى. This is how the scholars they derive these things. This is how they derive these rulings. A person may come along and say to you, how can you possibly say to me that me having a gold cup and saucer just as a decoration piece in my cabinet never gets touched, locked up, no one can get in there, it's just decoration. How is that haram when the hadith just says you can't eat and drink in them? Mine is just an artifact, an antique, a decoration in the cabinet. How can you implement this hadith unto that? I'm not eating in it, I'm not drinking in it, I'm not even touching it. No one touches it. Locked cabinet display only. The shaykh says, if the hadith has told us it is impermissible to use gold and silver for something where there is an actual need, eating and drinking, is it a need or not? Absolutely. Eating and drinking is a need. But in that need, even though it is a need, we've been told you can't use gold and silver. So what therefore of a situation of you using gold and silver when there isn't even a need in the first place? The scholars, they say that's got to be haram in that case. If you're not allowed to use it in times of need to eat and to drink and as we've been talking about in this chapter to make wudu, you're not allowed to use that vessel to go collect water in it. You're not allowed to use the vessel of gold and silver. And that's an act of worship you want to do right now. You want to make wudu, you want to make ghusl. There's a need to do an act of worship. And yet you're not allowed to use the vessel of gold and silver. So what therefore of using gold and silver for something where you have no need? A golden doorknob. No need whatsoever. Any other material you can find the doorknobs, B&Q, a whole aisle full of them. You, uh, the, the gifts that you put into your cabinet, no need for them whatsoever. The scholars do discuss one more thing though. They say, what is the reason? Why have gold and silver utensils been made impermissible for us? To eat and to drink from why? Extravagance. Extravagance, Extravagance, possibly. Because it's something that for them in the dunya and for you in the akhirah, so it's made something valuable, so maybe you'll strive for it in the the akhirah. Possibly. But even the women are not allowed to eat and drink from the utensils, so you would not be imitating them in that action. The worst of moment. Hmm? Waste of money, extravagance. There's three overall conclusions that the scholars they came to in regards to why it's impermissible. Remember, with the acts of worship, all of the acts of worship we do, do we have a reasoning that we comprehend for every act of worship we do? Can we always work out why Allah commanded us with this or that? No, because sometimes 
Some acts of worship are known as ibadat mahdah. Ibadat mahdah are worships that Allah has obligated upon us purely as an act of worship to test our subservience. There is no other reason we can think of why Allah obligated it like this or why like that. We don't necessarily know why. Why like this? Why is this worship like that? Why did Allah obligate this worship in this way? We don't always have the answer. So some of the worships, the scholars, they say they are ibadat mahdah. It is an act of worship purely because it is an act of worship. No other reason we can really work out. And in fact, we're going to get to it soon, even wudu. What is the reasoning behind wudu? Purification. So now, uh, uh, one second, let's just do this. We'll come to the question in a second then. So if a person now goes and has a shower or a bath for an hour, sits in the bath for an hour, everybody's laughing because they know what the bills are like these days. So sitting in the bath for an hour, shower on for an hour, completely full bar of soap, brand new one by the time he's finished, it's gone. When he comes out of that shower or bath, is he pure or not? In terms of physically his body, even a kafir. If he did that, full bar of soap, an hour in the bath or the shower, then he comes out after scrubbing and scrubbing. Physically, is he pure or not? Pure. So now a Muslim then, Imagine a Muslim does that, physically full bar of soap gone, 100 pounds on the gas bill gone, comes out of that bath, physically he is pure. But then, he remembers, he's, he's, he's just getting out of the bath then after one hour, and he remembers it's prayer time coming up. Whilst he was in that one hour bath with that full bar of soap, he didn't actually make wudu he had his full bath sat there showering soap but he didn't actually make the wudu he didn't do it so now for him to be able to pray he has to do what stood at the sink now just got out of the bath he has to make wudu but he's already 100% physically pure so what's the reason for the wudu now you said purification. Everybody was saying purification. What's he going to purify? Martha knows he was in there. For, he, he swallowed half of the soap. He says Ali radiallahu anhu said this. So some things in the DNA you can't comprehend like the the So that's it. The scholars they say even the wudu, technically speaking, yes, of course there is an element of purification in it. Of course, you're going to wash those body parts, etc. But technically speaking, it could be argued that even the wudu is an ibadah mahdah. That it's a worship for the sake of a worship. That you could be physically 100% pure. And yet in that scenario there, he walks out of the bath, he's going to have to wash those body parts again. 
So it's known as ibadah mahda. The example they give in the books of fiqh, uh, they don't say bath or shower, they say imagine a person goes into the ocean. This is mentioned in the books of fiqh. They say imagine someone swims in the ocean for an hour. The ocean water is pure. Ocean water you can make wudu. Imagine a person swims around in the ocean for an hour. His whole body for an hour in the water comes out physically he's pure. Yet if he did not make an intention for wudu, he will have to make wudu. And upon that the scholars, they said, therefore wudu technically is ibadah mahbah. It's not just for the purpose of purification, even though that's within it, no doubt. So the point here was not all worships can you always come to a deduction. This is the reason. Scholars, they make ijtihad. They give reasonings like last week we were talking about, I think was it here in this class, or a couple of weeks ago about the urine of the baby boy and the baby girl. Again, it's not mentioned in the hadith why you have to wash from the urine of a baby girl, but the baby boy you can just sprinkle some water on it and you're done. Why the difference? The scholars made some ijtihad and they considered this. Some of them said maybe it's because of the biology of girls. The biology of girls is different to the biology of boys. Girls when they grow up and the period occurs and the blood exits, none of that occurs to the boy. So perhaps some of them said it is to do with the internal makeup of how a girl is compared to how a boy is. Maybe that's the reason of the different rulings on their urine. Ijtihad from the scholars. It doesn't mean that's what the hadith says, but that is an ijtihad to come to an understanding. So all of that coming to this point now then, what is the ijtihad or what is the understanding of why gold and silver is impermissible? One opinion of the scholars, they said, that it is... Uh, impermissible due to the fact that it is an ibadah mahda. We've been told gold and silver cannot be used and that is it. You demonstrate your subservience upon that and we do not need to look into it any further in any other way. We've been told it's haram, it's haram. Hadith hasn't told us why specifically, but we've been told it's haram to use it. Khalas, it's haram to use it like ibadah mahba. That's an opinion of some of the scholars. The second opinion, some of the brothers they touched upon it, is an element of extravagance which impacts adversely upon the poor. An element of extravagance that impacts adversely on the poor. Meaning, when the rich people, they are eating and drinking, and their cups and bottles are made of gold. Eating and drinking with cups and bottles made of gold. Maybe that one bottle is worth hundreds of pounds in the weight of its gold. And yet the person who's in poverty living across the street does not even have his wooden bowl or plate to fill with anything. No food to put into it. And yet he sees his neighbor or sees the rich one with utensils made of gold worth hundreds of pounds to put that water in. He can't even find water to put into his wooden ones, let alone get a utensil of gold. So the scholars, they said, this creates a great disparity. 
And it is not befitting to have that type of disparity between the believers. That the poor, they see their state and they see the rich and what they are taking it to, what levels they are taking it to, their doorknobs made out of gold, their forks made out of gold. It creates a great degree of disparity which is not suitable within the believers. So some scholars said maybe that's the reason we've been prohibited from using gold and silver for these affairs. The third reason, like we said, gold and silver is identified and used in monetary terms. And some scholars, they said, and this is more applicable perhaps in the olden days where gold and silver were, was the actual material that was used for coins and things. Then they said that it could be the case that because gold and silver, its purpose is designated to a a wealth or or a financial purpose to it, a monetary purpose to it, that coins are made of it in the olden days. They used to have the actual gold coins that they traded in, that it's therefore not suitable to use that element, that material of gold or silver in cups and utensils and decorations and other things, because the people in their maslaha need that material for their monetary purposes. They need to make coins out of it. They need to buy and sell with it. It's not suitable for people to take that material and put it as decoration in their homes. This is a need amongst the people, the wealth, the money, the coins. And so that item should be left. The gold and the silver should be left to be used in the coins, etc. That is an ishtihad some of them mentioned. Ibn al-Qayyim rahimahullah ta'ala said, that the reasoning, Wallahu a'lam, and take an example even from that. Take an example from what Ibn al-Qayyim mentioned, in even the way that the scholars they speak, when they give an opinion about something, they give their reasoning for something, how often you will hear them begin with, or end with, Allahu a'lam. Ibn al-Qayyim here is now going to explain something and Allahu A'lam. That Allah knows best. Allah knows best. He's going to give what he thinks is the case, what he understands to be the case, and then Allahu A'lam, the knowledge is with Allah, Allah knows best. And that is different to what you see from some of the people now, the YouTube celebrities and everyone. They come along now and they give an answer like there cannot possibly be any other answer in the face of the earth. This is the fatwa, what I'm telling you now. That's the way they speak, with a, with a type of etiquette, which is not from the etiquette of the scholars. And you see it from them. Some of these people who claim to be scholars on YouTube and going out here and there and debating or whatever else. And it's as though when they sit there to give their, they have their fatwa channels, Fatawa, Shari'iyah, Fatawa, this, Fatawa, that. And they sit there, pre-prepared questions with answers they've taken directly from Sheikh bin Baz and Sheikh Al-Ithameen, but they won't quote and say, Sheikh bin Baz said this, Sheikh Al-Ithameen said this, when they sit there on their channel, and the question, they give the answer as though they have got the answer, and they've derived the answer. And the answer to this is X, Y, Z, and the Hadith is, and the Ayah is, and they're just narrating exactly the fatwa of Sheikh Bin Baz, but it's them giving the answer. 
There's an etiquette. And this is an etiquette you will see from the scholars all the time. Allahu A'lam. So Ibn Al-Qayyim here says that the reasoning Allahu A'lam is munafat al-ubudiyyah. Lillahi Azza wa Jal. فَإِنَّ اللَّهَ حَرَّمَ الْأَكْلَ وَشُرْبَ فِي أَوَانِ الذَّهَبُ وَالْفِضَّةِ فَالْكُفَّارِ لَمْ يَلْتَزِمُوا بِتَحْرِيمِ اللَّهِ وَكَذَلِكَ الَّذِي يَشْرَبُوا مِنَ الْمُسْلِمِينَ فِي آنِيَةِ الذَّهَبِ وَالْفِضَّةِ لَمْ يَلْتَزِمْ بِذَلِكَ مَعْنَاهُ أَنَّهُ أَخَلَّ بِعُبُودِيَّةِ اللَّهِ أو بِعُبُودِيَّتِهِ لِلَّهِ فَالْقَضِيَّةُ قَضِيَّةُ عُبُودِيَّةٍ ابْنُ الْقَيِّمِ he says that the reality of this ruling is that it is closer to the meaning of ibadah mahba, that it is an exemplification of your ubudiyah, your servitude, your worship, your humility before Allah. That Allah made this a prohibition. Yet the kuffar did not care and they used them as the hadith affirms. And perhaps some of the Muslims did not implement this and they fell into that prohibition and they continued using it and so the one who obeys Allah and stays away from this luxury then he has shown his ubudiyah his servitude and submission to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knowing that this is something which will be made halal and given to him to them to the believers in the afterlife even though it was not given in this life. And that's why it mentions in some of the narrations how hellfire is surrounded by all the desires and the ease and what the soul wants. And paradise is surrounded by the difficulties and the hardships and giving up things. So here the believer gives this up in obedience to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Even the one who has that extravagant wealth, Allah's blessed him with it. Then he does not squander it on these affairs, and rather he uses it, as Ibn Qayyim mentions and others they continue to mention, uses that wealth in more appropriate ways. Instead of having the gold doorknobs in his mansion, all of the thousands of pounds on that, he can give that in various methods of charity for the sake of Allah. That brings us, in a summarized manner, to the end of the discussion on utensils, we therefore understand as the primary ruling that we want right now, when making wudu and ghusl and purification, you cannot do it with wudu, with the water that you have put into a bowl of gold or silver. That's the basic ruling to be taken from there. That's why you see Babul Aniyah. In the chapters of fiqh at the beginning in the book of purification. That's where we'll uh, conclude on it. We'll do the new chapter next time. And the new chapter next time, very relevant to everyone. Even if a person says gold and silver, it's not maybe, you know, nobody's really going to have here gold and silver cups and, and plates. But the rulings are there. But next week's chapter is a chapter that is applicable absolutely without fail to every single person. It is the chapter regarding al-istinja and adab qada al-haja. Basically, the rulings of how a Muslim uses the toilet. 
There are rulings in fiqh, in hadith, in sunnah, where believers, the Muslims, have been taught the etiquettes of using the bathroom, the etiquettes of relieving yourself. What are you supposed to say when you go in? What do you say as you exit? What are you allowed to do when you are in there? What are you not allowed to do when you're in there? There are various rulings connected to answering the call of nature. And so it's important for everybody to know that. Everybody must understand those rulings. It's mentioned in a hadith where some of the uh, uh, munafiqun or mushrikun they were mocking one of the companions. And they were saying to him that your messenger... He tells you everything, all these things. He even talks to you about going to the toilet. Companion said, of course, absolutely. Even that, because the Muslim, his etiquettes in all of his affairs are covered. And the narration mentions, iman. Purification is half of your iman. The purification of a Muslim, the purity that a Muslim is upon, always throughout his life, not only when you make wudu for the prayer, generally upon a state of purity and purification. That is one of the distinguishing signs of a believer compared to a non-believer. So that's the chapter we'll begin with the next time in two weeks time, inshallah ta'ala. Any questions then? There is no difference of opinion, generally speaking. The, you know, the answer to this is, is there a difference of opinion? Any fiqh issue, if you really try hard, and you really spend your time researching, you'll find someone, somewhere, had a different opinion. But that doesn't mean you can say always there's a difference of opinion. So in this topic, there are some scholars, there are some scholars who say that the prohibition of gold and silver utensils is only for eating and drinking because the hadith says it is only do not eat or drink. They say if you couldn't make wudu with it, then why wasn't it just mentioned? And don't make wudu from the utensils of gold and silver. So there are some who say the ruling is very clear, it's just about eating and drinking. But the explanations the scholars they just gave, eating and drinking, that can be generally considered as just a mubah action. Making wudu and ghusl is an action of ibadah, worship. And if you're not even allowed to do a mubah action in those vessels, then certainly how can you be allowed to do an actual obligation and worship in those vessels? So the reasonings are very strong and you have to remember those kinds of things. Some of the mistakes that people make is that you may go down a path of saying, but the narration only says X, Y, and Z. And that's true, fair enough. But when studying fiqh and usul al-fiqh, then all of these factors, they come into it. And there's all these explanations and reasonings and the, 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 the aspects of qiyas and the illah and the hukam which then over, uh, comes over both of those things, these affairs do come into it, and the reasonings and logic is very clear. And it is established and known from the fuqaha of old, from the madhahib of uh, Ahmed ibn Hanbal, Shafi'i, Malik, 
and Abu Hanifa more than all the other three. Abu Hanifa more than the other three used this type of logic and reasoning. Uh, so that exists and that is known and it is part of the understanding of the religion and the deduction of the evidences. Champagne? Yes, the, the bottle is, is uh, the same bottle that they, they use for the, for the wines. As a, as a Muslim, uh, it can be considered as a mockery by using the same thing, but you have... Using the same kinds of bottles that they put wine into, yeah, those, those kinds of bottles, yes. but you have some halal drink in it. Allah, yeah. uh, it depends. I mean, if that bottle, when you see it, the way that it's designed and everything, the first thing you think of is that this is an alcoholic bottle of wine, then maybe that type of design isn't suitable. Because, uh, I mean, when you go to a supermarket now and you see something like that, if instantly the first thing that comes to your mind that looks exactly like wine or, or, or alcoholic types of drinks, then maybe it's not suitable to use that type of uh, manufacturing or that type of advertising, those types of bottles for the, for the uh, uh, resemblance that it creates to the known drinks of alcohol and whatever else. But it wouldn't get to the level of impermissible and haram. Not necessarily. Because a bottle is a bottle at the end of the day. So I, I doubt that you would be able to say it gets to the level of haram. But you could probably say and argue that it's better avoided and it shouldn't be used in that way for the resemblance that it can appear to show. The silk for the women, what's the narration? Everybody knows it. Some people I know that did it with me in some of the classes. The messenger took some gold and he put it in one hand and and, uh, uh, silk put it into the other hand and he said these two are haram upon the males of my ummah. The version here was the shorter version but that's the hadith overall. So if somebody ended up making wudu in a utensil that is of gold and silver, is the uh, wudu valid and can he then pray? So it depends firstly on whether the person did it intentionally or not. If somebody didn't realize, then in that case certainly you would say he's okay. Didn't even know, didn't even recognize that this was made out of gold or silver. Just thought it was another normal kind of whatever and made his wudu and went. That's no issue. But a person who knows, but even a person who knows, you may argue in the, in the longer explanations of things, was there a necessity or not? Maybe there was some necessity, you could think of some example, where the only way he could collect some water to make wudu was in this gold or silver utensil. So then the ruling would be different. 
if in that hypothetical scenario, it was the only way he could gather some water from somewhere to be able to make wudu from. Rainwater, you wouldn't be able to say that example. Rainwater, you could literally make it as it rains. But uh, maybe you could think of some example. They'll mention it in the books of fiqh. There's a stream two meters below him. There's no other way for him to get down. He has this one gold bottle. He can reach down and get some water. You know, examples of necessity that they might bring up. But then the other scenario, a person just uses it when he has no necessity. That's really where the issue comes up. No necessity, but he just does it anyway. So then you just have the two parts to the ruling. You have to work out, are the fuqaha going to say, al-jiha munfakka or not? Meaning, is the ruling of the gold and the uh, silver utensil directly connected and impacts on the validity of the wudu or is that ruling of not using the gold and silver utensil an independent ruling meaning that if you do it you end up being a sinner but that your wudu is a separate act of worship the water has it become haram the water the water is still okay the water hasn't become haram or, or impure so you've used the water and you've made wudu, you've made wudu. Some scholars will say you've done your act of worship of making wudu. But the method that you did that by using a gold and silver utensil, that was wrong of you, that's a sin of That's a sin upon you, but your wudu is valid. It's like the example they give in the books of fiqh. They say, what if a person steals a thobe? One of the conditions of the prayer, you have to cover your awrah. If a person goes and steals a thobe, so now it's prayer time, he wears that stolen thobe and covers his aura. Condition of the prayer has been fulfilled, but it's been fulfilled with a garment that he stole. So now when he prays, is his prayer valid or not? Some say it's not. Some say it's not, because they say he covered his aura with something which was impermissible in the first place. Therefore, that covering of the aura there is not really valid. But others, they say, it's jiha munfakka, as they call it, meaning that him stealing the thobe, that's an independent action which he is sinful for. But then him praying, did he or did he not, regardless of where the thobe came from, did he or did he not cover his aura? Covered it. So they say, okay, his prayer is valid. He covered his aura, it's valid. But the fact that he stole the thobe, that's a separate issue that he's going to get sin for. It's a bit like uh, uh, Hajj as well. Hajj, when uh, we used to be there, you have to get the paperwork. Even when you're living there in Saudi, you can't just go to Hajj. You still have to get the paperwork, the application form to be able to go. So obviously some people, they couldn't get the application forms. You still have to pay a little bit uh, couple of hundred pounds, whatever it used to be, compared to the eight, nine, ten thousand these days here. You still have to pay to get this form. Sometimes people couldn't get it. Maybe sometimes they run out. There's a point where they have to cut off. Nobody else can go now. So some people used to go without the form. Go without the application form, which means technically they're not supposed to be going. They don't have permission to go and do Hajj that year. But they go without the form. They, they get in. So now... They've gone in to do hajj in a method that is impermissible. But when they've gone in, they've done all of the rites of hajj, so they've performed hajj. 
So again, the scholars would say here that your hajj, okay, you've performed all of the rites, it's valid. But you have committed a sin. It's a sin how you went into hajj like that. You did not fulfill the conditions of going into hajj that the government, the rulers, the king had put down. You disobeyed. It's basically disobedience to the ruler. So that's a sin. You are sinful for that, wrongful for that. But the rites of hajj, they've been performed. So Allah alam, maybe the same discussion applies here now if a person did it on purpose, that maybe it could be argued that the wudu is still valid, but his action of how he did it and what he did using the gold and silver, he is sinful upon. Allah alam. It's difficult to clarify that. There's a difference of opinion about the band. Something which is a complete band. Some of the scholars do not allow it. But uh, it's not something agreed upon amongst the scholars. There are differences over that. There are some scholars, I think Sheikh al-Albani is one of them, who does not allow the wearing of a complete band of gold. Because some narrations about the hellfire and the bands of gold. But other scholars, they've left it open. They said, look, with uh, women... And jewelry, there is no specific prohibition on types. And so they do allow it to be left open. That's a difference you have on that issue. It's not something you can say agreed upon this way or that way. Go on. In that, yeah, we did. I remember, yes. There was the homework about you have a bowl of water, a bowl of water. And for example, the husband and wife both need to make wudu. So the husband comes and that bowl of water, he puts his hands in, gets the water out, makes wudu. He goes. Then the wife comes. Can she use that same water, put her hands in, get the water out and make wudu as well? Because that water, when the husband came to it, it was untouched. But once he's made wudu with it, that water is now, in basic terms, second-hand water. It's already been used by someone to make wudu from. Can somebody else still make wudu from that water or not? So what's your answer then? Uh, no, they can't. They can't? Uh, because of the hadith where the Prophet used the uh, water that was used by Maymunah. Mm-hmm. It was not the same book. Aisha is so your answer is that it's allowed. A person, a husband for example, comes and makes wudu from that bowl of water. He goes, his wife comes, she can make wudu from the bowl of water. And it's permissible because there is a hadith where it mentions that the Prophet Maymuna, that he made the wudu from the leftover water of Maymuna. Anybody else have any answer? So same opinion. You're saying it's allowed. Uh, I think there was also another hadith uh, that mentioned something about not doing it and rather taking the water and you should take the water you should take it at the same time and that a man should not use the left of water. So what are you saying now? You're changing your fatwa or what are you, what are you doing? Is it, is it just applied to the wife? Is it is it is this for the non uh, the narrations are here, we'll mention them here now. Are you talking about the water from the same container or the same, same container? Water that's being used as part of the body? 
Ah, okay. So maybe a person dips their hands into that water and then goes away from it. So none of their water that fell off them went in there or not. So there are some narrations. We'll quickly just mention them. There is a hadith where the Prophet ﷺ said, Naha, or the companion says, Naha Rasulullah this hadith says the Prophet prohibited that a woman should use the leftover water of a man or that a man should use the leftover water of a woman, but rather they should use it simultaneously. Rather than one coming and making wudu and going, then the next one coming and using that same water, not like that, prohibited from that. Rather the messenger said they should come together, simultaneously make their purification, that's okay. There's another hadith though of Ibn Abbas, anna nabiya sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, in Muslim, that the Prophet sallallahu used to make wudu with the leftover water from Maymuna, his wife. And there is another narration, اغتسل بعض أزواج النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم في جفنة فجاء النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم ليغتسل منها فقالت إني كنت جنبا فقال إن الماء لا يجنب There's a narration where one of the wives of the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم in this bowl of water, in those days, you know, it's not a tap or anything, you have the bowls of water you've collected from the well or wherever. So one of his wives had made ghusl from it had been dipping hands into that, taking water out, made ghusl with it. And there was still some left over in that bowl. The messenger came afterwards and he was about to use it to make wudu. And she said to him, but messenger, oh messenger, indeed, I was upon janaba, meaning I made ghusl, I was using that water to make ghusl with. But the messenger replied to her, Water does not become impure like that. She was upon impurity. And she used that water to become pure. The messenger is saying that doesn't mean basically that your impurity has now gone into the water. That it doesn't go like that. But there are differences on the topic. You can see there are those three narrations. The conclusion of it, Sheikh Al-Fawzani gave a conclusion here. He said, the first opinion of the scholars is, Al-Mana'a. It is impermissible to use leftover water. لا يصح اغتسال الرجل من فضل المرأة أي الماء المتبقي بعد اغتسالها من الجنابة أو الحيضة والنفاس مطلقا. That if a person, a woman, comes and uses that water to purify herself from janaba or, or period or anything of that nature, it is impermissible for the man to come and use that water afterwards. The second opinion, لا يجوز للرجل أن يغتسل من فضل المرأة إذا خلت به. This is an opinion which you have to go into the books of fiqh to get more details. But they mention an opinion based upon some narrations and evidences that it's not permissible for a man to use leftover water that a woman has used if she had used it in seclusion. The details of that, it's not for now. But that's an opinion. And there's a third opinion, and this is the opinion of the Jumhur of the scholars, the majority of the scholars, 
جواز اغتسال الرجل من فضل المرأة مطلقا خلت به أو لم تخلو به أخذا بحديث ابن عباس that it is permissible to use the leftover water for a man to come and use the leftover water of a woman it is permissible to do that absolutely and they use the example of the hadith of Maimuna so that is the opinion of the majority of the scholars on that that's the what we were talking about the uh, uh, like uh, um, soldering that's that when you solder in the silver to fix the, the cracks as they call it so that the anya that's been soldered yeah that one yeah Actual gold. Actual gold, yeah. How would I get rid of it? Because I feel that if I return it to the non-Muslims, it might take offence and then it might harm dawah and such. So So normally you might say sell it, but uh, the problem is some of the scholars, they say you shouldn't sell uh, utensils of gold and silver. Sheikh uh, Bimbaz has a fatwa saying you shouldn't sell utensils of gold and silver because now you know but if some other Muslim buys it off you, he doesn't know he's going to carry and using it in decoration or whatever else. So you're not supposed to sell it. So if you're not supposed to sell it and you can't really give it back, it means you've got another homework to go and find some fatawa <laughs> on what you're supposed to do with it then. Allah alam what the scholars would say. Let's have a look this week. See if anybody can find anything in regards to that scenario. You've ended up with something like that now. Then what can you do with it? Uh, the actual bowl itself isn't going to be worth anything. Just the gold strip is really, or the gold sections are what's going to be worth something. Uh, worst scenario, if it came to it, you could always break the bowl, take the gold, and go get the money equivalent of it. Uh, to add to it as well, it's got a picture of like a camera, so would that affect it if I just wanted to smash it up? No, no, that, that's okay, because if you destroy it, yeah. if it is destroyed and then you bury it or something, there's no problem with that. Okay. That's uh, removed the image. Last question then, last question, we have to stop slightly earlier. If my daughter has bought basically jewelry, etc., do I have to use that as If your daughter has gold, bracelets and other jewelry, do you have to give the zakat on it? Yeah, no, but you do have to allow it, put my own zakat money. So are you saying, do you have to pay for it or does your daughter have to pay for it? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, mal, uh, the scholars, they say, it is obligatory upon anyone's wealth. Normally, the rulings of worship apply to you once you reach the age of puberty. But with zakatul mal, the annual zakat, it applies even to children if they have the nisab the quantity and a year's passed on it. So imagine one of your children now, six, seven, eight year old, and your grandfather's, their grandfather, their grandmother, whoever it is has given them gold worth 5,000 pounds. So now obviously that's above the nisab. Zakat is due upon that. It is due upon the opinion that you have to give zakat on personal jewelry. There's a difference of opinion whether you have to give zakat on personal jewelry or not. Two very well-established opinions. Personal jewelry meaning that jewelry, your wife, your daughter, whoever it is, 
It's their jewelry that they keep and they use. You've got no intention of that jewelry being an investment. You're not thinking to yourself, okay, let me use it for a year, but I think prices are going up. Next year, I think we'll, uh, we'll sell it. Now you've got an idea of it being a bit of an investment. Now zakat is definitely due. If it's an investment, that gold, then it's zakat. But if it's not, you're not getting rid of that gold, whatever happens. It's your gold. Your wife uses it. Eid, weddings, whatever it might be. She uses that gold. It's her personal gold. There's a difference of opinion to start with whether you have to give zakat on personal gold or not. The fatwa in the maybe only, I don't know exactly when, 50, 60, 70 years ago, the overriding fatwa of the scholars used to be in very recent times that there is no zakat on personal gold. The, the scholars of Saudi Arabia, I think only now, 50, 60 years ago, the fatwa of the mufti and, and the permanent committee, uh, those kind of level of scholars, their fatwa used to be there's no zakat on personal gold. However, now the overriding fatwa of the permanent committee, the mufti, etc. Nowadays, their fatwa is you do have to give zakat even on personal gold. So that's a difference of opinion. Another topic, we'll get to it in zakat. But here though, let's assume we're on the opinion you have to give zakat on personal gold. So now if your kids have got gold, zakat is due upon it. Do you have to give it from your wealth? Not necessarily. The scholars, they say, you can either just give it from your wealth, that gold, add it up, whatever it's worth, put it together with all your wealth, 2.5%. Or you can give your own and then say to your daughter, if you have the heart to do so, we need to weigh up your gold, work out how much is due on it, and then that one earring, I have to take it. <laughs> it's possible, because this is what they say about women. If your wife, for example, has a big pile of gold, big amount of gold, but she has no money, nothing in her bank account, the husband takes care of all the finances, she has no money, no, not working, nothing. But she has 10,000 pounds of gold when she got married. So now zakat is due upon it on the opinion that you have to give zakat on personal gold. Zakat is due. How is she going to pay it when she has zero in her account? She doesn't even have an account. The husband, is it wajib upon him to give it? It isn't. It's her wealth. That's her 10,000 pounds of gold. The husband doesn't have to give it. So how does she give it if she has no money? She doesn't actually have any physical money to give the 2.5% worth of the money of that gold. She just has to give a piece of the gold. Work out the 10,000 pounds worth of gold, the measurements, the grams, how many grams is equal to 2.5% of it, and she has to give that amount from the gold. Or... If there isn't a piece small enough, all the pieces are too big, it's going to end up at 10%, 20%. She can sell one of those pieces and then the 2.5% of the value, give that in the, in the money to the zakat. We'll have to conclude in there today. Uh, inshallah ta'ala, we'll resume in two weeks time with the next chapter regarding the etiquettes of using the bathroom. Inshallah. Wa sallallahu alayhi wa sallam.